This is AutoLine Daily, the show dedicated to enthusiasts of the global automotive industry. Last month, we reported that Peugeot was installing analog gauges in one of its vehicles instead of digital ones in order to free up semiconductor chips for its more popular models. But Bloomberg reports it's not the only automaker sacrificing content in order to deal with the chip shortage. Nissan is reducing the number of vehicles with pre-installed navigation by about a third. Some Chevrolet Silverados are being built without a certain fuel economy module, resulting in a one-mile-per-gallon drop. Digital rearview mirrors in the Ram 1500 used to come standard, but are now just an option. And Renault's Arcana SUV is only available with a smaller display without navigation, and it's no longer offering wireless phone charging for the model. Another strategy automakers are using to deal with the shortage is what's called building shy. That's where a company builds as many vehicles as it can without the parts that need the chips. Those vehicles are then stockpiled to complete production at a later date. The Detroit Free Press reports that GM has tens of thousands of vehicles stored at its sites in Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, Texas, and Mexico. And Ford says it has 22,000 vehicles waiting to be installed with chips. Earlier this week, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, the largest chip maker in the world, said the chip shortage could last into early next year. Thanks to strong sales in all regions of the world, BMW posted good first-quarter earnings. The company delivered more than 636,000 vehicles, a Q1 record. That also includes Mini and Rolls-Royce. Its revenue jumped 15% compared to a year ago to nearly 27 billion euros, and it posted big EBIT and net profit gains. And while it expects some volatility for the remainder of the year because of the pandemic, chip shortage, and rising raw material prices, BMW still expects to post a year-over-year increase in sales. Mobility is becoming electric, connected, and autonomous, just like the manufacturing world. But we'll always be one thing, a reliable partner for our customers. We want to know what drives your testing. OTA, connected car, diagnostics, remote testing. Intrepid Control Systems is here to help you work from anywhere. Intrepid Control Systems, driven by your data. Hey, do you remember that special edition version of the 812 Superfast Ferrari T's late last month? Well, it turns out it also had something else off its sleeve, a Targa version as well. Both models, which are called Competizione and Competizione A for the Targa, are already based on the high-performance 812 Superfast, but take that performance and turn it on its head. The reworked, naturally aspirated V12 now cranks out roughly 820 horsepower and revs up to 9,500 RPM, both records for a road-going Ferrari. The cars also feature a recalibrated 7-speed DCT for quicker shifts, all-wheel steering, as well as a number of aerodynamic and light weighting efforts. Click the link in the transcript or description box if you'd like to learn more. Repair shops now have another source for diagnosing vehicles. The supplier Bosch just launched its Essetronic 2.0 diagnostic software, 
which allows access to both vehicle data and removal and installation instructions right from the same program. Now Bosch is not the only one with this capability, but as a former tech myself, I'm all for having a number of options to choose from. Do autonomous cars need LiDAR, or can they just get by with cameras? We had a fascinating discussion about that on Autoline After Hours yesterday with Mircha Gradu from Velodyne, the company that invented LiDAR. He points out that cameras don't do well at night. In fact, 80% of pedestrian fatalities are in low lighting conditions. LiDAR does well at night because it actually shines out light in the form of laser beams. And here's what Mircha had to say about LiDAR versus cameras. It doesn't matter truly how you do it, if the end result is good. If the end result is not good, then certainly you start to question certain ingredients in your recipe. And um, we don't want to, to get to the point where we uh, actually learn that the hard way, uh, when we have so many logical arguments and testing available to actually drive a decision prior to anything bad happening. So I think we developed enough arguments and the industry has enough arguments to justify the presence of LiDAR um, in, in a vehicle. In general, it's not just LiDAR. And again, we don't uh, take that approach where we essentially preach about um, LiDAR being the only sensor on the vehicle. There is a sensor fusion approach that has to be taken, which should include cameras and ultrasound sensors and radar and everything else along with, RIDAR, uh, with um, LiDAR and capitalize on the best characteristics of each of those sensors. Each of them has complementary features that can help the overall system perform better. I think that's the key and most you know, key point that we would like to make and, and the most beneficial approach. Once you eliminate one of those, then you certainly um, limit your capability to, um, you know, perform flawlessly and <laughs> come back to my classic example. What about low light conditions, right? I mean, if you don't have LiDAR. Um, so uh, coincidentally, the testing that we performed was using one of those vehicles that, that you, you mentioned, and the results are very telling and compelling. And, and when Mircha says one of those vehicles that you mentioned, he's referring to Tesla, of course. Though it's hard to tell from their video, which came out on March 18th of this year of testing they did, it looks like they used a Model 3. And as you can see, it hits the test dummy in the street. And this is why Velodyne is calling on NHTSA to include low light conditions in its testing for automated pedestrian detection and braking.
Well, if you pay attention to our sales reports, you may have noticed there's a brand that's been consistently posting gains in the American market, and that's Volvo. It's easy for me to see why consumers are attracted to its vehicles. I think they're some of the best looking out there. Take the plug-in hybrid version of the XC90, called the Recharge, that we just had come through our office. I really like the clean two-box design, which is highlighted by Volvo's unmistakable grille and its now unmistakable lighting signature. And in my opinion, the interior looks even better. You're invited in by lots of soft-touch leather that's accented with aluminum trim and other premium materials like wood. Its style is just as clean as the exterior. But I do have a couple of gripes. The third row, it's not very comfortable, and really only for those times you absolutely need it. I found searching through the radio stations and adjusting other vehicle controls rather cumbersome because it's almost all controlled through the touchscreen. And lastly, this is minor I know, but the battery life icon always stays at one bar no matter the charge. There is a number indicator and a fuel light gauge for the battery life, but I just wish the icon was dynamic as well. It threw me off the first time I saw it. The XC90 Recharge comes to us only a week after we had the S90 Recharge. Both feature the same powertrain setup, a two-liter, super, and turbocharged four-cylinder engine that's mated to an eight-speed automatic and an electric motor on the rear axle. So the driving experience was pretty similar. We were surprised at how much get-up-and-go it has with a combined system output of 400 horsepower and thanks to adaptive air suspension, it soaks up bumps in the road despite large wheels and tires. While the S90 had an indicated maximum range of 23 miles when we drove it, the XC90 only had 20 miles. It was enough for most of our everyday driving to and from work, but I wanted more. It's harder and harder for me to see past what I think PHEVs really are, compliance cars. I'd rather just see a pure ICE or electric because they're less complex and don't mix two expensive technologies together. The XC90 Recharge we drove was a little over $81,000, which is about 10 grand more than one similarly equipped, but without the battery pack and electric motor. That's the setup I think I'd go for. But that's a wrap for this week. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you have a great weekend. Auto Line Daily is brought to you by Bridgestone, solutions for your journey, Intrepid Control Systems, over-the-air engineering, boost your game, Scheffler, we pioneer motion, and by Magna. Wards is the industry leader for news, data, and analysis. That's why companies across the globe subscribe to our premium service, maybe even your own. Log in for subscriber access now. Check your company's intranet for details and rely on wardsauto.com to keep you informed.